The reading this morning is from Isaiah, chapter 61, starting at the first verse. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of their shame, my people will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace... They will rejoice in their inheritance, and so they will inherit a double portion of their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them, and make, them, make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Thank you, Rob. When I became an adult, or if you like, when I became old enough to start living my life on my own, there were many things from my childhood that I felt I'd left behind. Things I'd outgrown or no longer felt that I needed to do. I was very pleased, for instance, that I no longer needed to be woken up in the morning by someone. Or I didn't need to be told when to go to bed at night as well. I didn't feel the need anymore to watch children's TV or to play make-believe games. Um, And I'd outgrown many childhood illnesses. But perhaps most liberating for me was that when I became an adult, I no longer needed to do homework every night after school, (laughs) get it completed and handed it in the next day. I could make my own choices. I could do my own thing. I could plot my own course in life. And then a few years ago, Simon and I decided to have children. And I realised, all too late, no one tells you these things, that the things I had left behind in my childhood had now come back to haunt me. Only twice over. Being woken up in the morning was now there. Being asked to watch children's TV programmes, really didn't want to watch. And being included in make-believe games once again. But perhaps most distressing for me, being asked to help with homework. Because who knew that when you were a child that your homework was just as much a trauma for your parents as it was for you? 30 years on, and suddenly you're back trying to understand algebra. And, you know, this came home to me the other week 
uh, when I had to help James with his maths. Normally Simon does the maths because I'm not very good at maths. Just managed to scrape by at school. So Simon does maths. But for some reason I ended up doing maths with James. And um, we were doing quite well. I was very excited because I was getting these things right, I thought. And I'm thinking, this is brilliant. I'm doing so well, even though we were doing it together, obviously. Um, And then we got to a question. It was fractions. Simon always says to me, fractions are so easy, Kate. And I'm like, really? I don't get that, how they can be easy. I struggle with fractions. Easy fractions, okay, but it gets a bit complicated. So we had this question on fractions, and I started to do it with James, and he was, we had to show all the workings out. He's got to show everything. You can't just put the answer. So we started working it out. And then partway through, I realised that, oh, actually, I'd got this one a little bit wrong. And so I thought, well, we can just sort of get it right by adding a bit more working out. So we added a bit more working out, and then I thought, oh, no, I've, I've misread the question, actually, and they're not wanting that. But it's OK, because if I add on a little bit more working out, then we might be able to get to the answer that we need. Anyway, a little while later, I realised that we'd done a whole page of working out, and we were nowhere near the answer. In fact, I was in a mess, a complete mess, and I'd led James into a mess as well. And we really needed help getting out of this. There was no way that we were going to get out of it. And you know, that's not the first time that I've been in a mess, especially with homework, and I'm sure it won't be the last either. But when I read this passage in the book of Isaiah, it was this maths memory of getting into a right mess that came back to me. Because just like me, here in the Bible, the people of God were struggling They weren't struggling with a maths problem as such, but they were struggling to work out how to make things right, if you like. To be fair to them, they'd encountered many problems along the way, so it had not been easy. For instance, they'd been defeated by neighbouring empires. They'd been ransacked and taken into captivity. They'd lived in exile for quite a long time, and now they'd returned to Jerusalem, their beloved city, to find it destroyed and dilapidated. They needed a way forward, if you like, but they were stuck. They needed people who could show them how to make things work, how to live as the people of God again. But the problem was, the only leaders they had, just like me, didn't really seem to know what they were doing. And despite their various attempts to make things right, they'd only got Israel into a mess, which they didn't really know how to get out of. They needed help. They needed someone to come and help them, both the people of Israel and also their leaders. They were stuck, which I guess is why God's word is spoken to them here from the prophet Isaiah. To be fair, it has been spoken to them many times before in the course of their history and many times throughout the book of Isaiah up to this point. It's been spoken to them as a warning about their behaviour, It's also been spoken to them as a challenge to put things right. It's been spoken to them as a prophecy of what would happen if they didn't put things right. But here in Isaiah 61 that Rob just read, it's spoken to them in a different way. Because here it's spoken to them as a promise. A promise of what is to come. And the promise of what is to come is different from anything that they've known before. It's not the promise of another set of guidelines to be followed, that if they do that, they'll be all right. It's not the promise of a rule book that could be implemented to make things right. It's not the promise of a set of laws to be obeyed, that if they do that, everything will work out. Instead, it's the promise of a person 
the likes of which they've not known before. A leader who knows what to do. A leader who is sent by God himself. One who will be anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit. Not one who will come to put a band-aid on Israel's problems once again or to cobble together some kind of solution or to make things work for a while. But one who will come to make things right for good, to solve all the problems. One who will bind up the brokenhearted, as it says here. One who will proclaim freedom for the captives. One who will bring release from darkness for the prisoners. One who will comfort all who mourn. One who will be the leader that Israel needs, but up to this point does not have. He will bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Not coming to make improvements, but to bring transformation to work, to lead, to move among the people of God, that they will be restored, or if you like, they'll be brought back to their former glory. No longer an oak with fading leaves, as they're described in chapter 1 of the book of Isaiah, but mighty oaks, a planting of the Lord for the splendour, for the display of his splendour. Or if you like, the promise of this person who is to come, this prophet of God, this anointed one, who would become known over the years as the Messiah, was that he would so transform the people of God that they in turn could then bring this transformation to the rest of the world. A people who once again existed to bring hope to others. This had always been their calling. This has always been what they should do. And this person would restore that to them. Now, of course, this promise from God in the book of Isaiah, this person who was coming to get Israel out of this mess, didn't arrive for many, many years. Many, many, many years. And in the meantime, many other prophecies were given throughout the Old Testament. Many other challenges were heard. Many other words were spoken. But eventually, eventually, one Sabbath day, hundreds of years after the prophet Isaiah... Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit, having been baptised in the River Jordan by John. And he went to Nazareth, and it says in the book of Luke, he went to Nazareth where he was brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened upon him. He began by saying to them, Today... This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Eventually, hundreds of years later, this promise of God through the prophet Isaiah came to pass. And Jesus arrived to transform the people of God. Jesus arrived to free them from the mess of their laws and their rituals and their red tape. Jesus arrived to free them from their complicated and convoluted ways of reaching 
God to fix their mess, if you like, to make things right so they could not only finally know transformation, but they could become what they were always intended to be, God's people who partnered with him to bring this transformation to the world. Of course, hundreds of years later, the reaction from those in the synagogue when Jesus stood up to fulfill this long-awaited promise was not as we might have thought, given the weight that they'd had to endure hundreds and hundreds of years. There was no leaping around. There were no celebrations. There was no acceptance of this promise of the Messiah. Instead, they rejected Jesus. They didn't believe this could be him. And in turn, they rejected this gift of restoration, this gift of partnership with God to transform the world. And instead, Jesus went on his way, choosing 12 lowly disciples to open the doors of his kingdom to everyone, instead of those people who had been following his laws. Do you know, when you have children, I don't know whether yours do this, if you've got children, but they always want food. No, that's true. Especially snacks. Mine are always coming into the kitchen any time that they're at home. Um, could I have a snack, Mommy? I'm going, yes, you can have an apple. No, 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 no. No, a treat. I'm like, no, why would you have a treat? But they always want something and, you know, I have some biscuits and I give them a biscuit. And one of them comes in, normally Joshua, and I've heard a little conversation where James has gone, go, you go and ask Mommy for a treat. And he goes, okay then. Toddles in. And so I give him a treat, well, a biscuit. And then I say can you take this one to your brother as well? And he goes, yes, of course. And at the moment, because he's five, he toddles off and he gives James the biscuit. But I know that there will come a time when he's tempted to keep both of them for himself and, not, and say, no, we couldn't have any treats. You know, I'm, I'm convinced, because that's what, what I would do, not now, you know. And I know that one day that temptation, temptation will become just too much. For one of them, they'll keep both the biscuits, maybe eat them, and then go in and go, no, I'm going you know? And in the same way, I believe this was a problem for the people of God when Jesus arrived to fulfill the promise of God. Because although they were in a mess, and they had been in a mess for years, and although they really had no way of getting out of it on their own, in a strange way, they sort of quite liked their mess. They had become used to it. It was comfortable, it was cosy, it was safe. It kept people out they didn't want to come in and it protected those who had worked so hard to be good and right and holy. So when Jesus came and offered them this long-awaited transformation and they realised that actually they were going to have to share it with the rest of the world, they couldn't accept it. Or more to the point, they didn't want to share And so they closed the doors and they shut the windows and they tried to pretend that God's gift was just for them. And in the same way as we sit here today, God's people in a world of desperate need, I believe this reaction can be a temptation for us too. You know, we've talked a lot recently about gifts of the Holy Spirit, about the wonderful gifts of God, gifts that God gives to us to help us to function as one body, to become mature Christians, to serve and to encourage. Gifts for transformation. And naturally, when we talk about these gifts, when we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit that is given to the church and the gifts that are given to people, 
there's a danger that we can believe that these gifts are just for us. Gifts given to the church so that we can experience more of God and grow mature in him. Whereas actually, although these gifts are of benefit to us, of course they are, more than that, they are gifts to restore and transform us. Gifts to help us become what we were always intended to be, a people who are transformed so that they can partner with God to bring transformation to the world. A people who existence is here to bring hope to others. You see, when Jesus came full of the Holy Spirit, he fulfilled the promise of one who was anointed by God in Isaiah 61, not to make his people better, but to reach the poor, to free the prisoners, to open the eyes of the blind, to reach those who so desperately needed to be reached through the transformation of his people here on earth. So that when we, his people, are filled with the Holy Spirit, when we're given gifts and skills and a role to play, this is not so that we can keep and savour and enjoy it all for ourselves, having wonderful meetings and, and helping each other and encouraging each other and stopping there. It's not so that we can eat all the biscuits for ourselves, if you like, but it's so we can share them. So we can open the doors and swing wide the windows and share the transformation of God with the rest of the world. You know, when I was standing in the line at school the other day, it's all about children today, isn't it? I've had a bit of it. And um, Joshua got invited to someone's house. This boy, Seb, came up to him and said, Oh, Joshua, would you like to come to my house on Thursday? And Joshua's standing there, and he's sort of a bit like this. And, and there's another boy next to them, Leo, who's not been invited to the house. He's just standing there. He's bouncing on his feet. And I'm thinking, oh, is Leo all right? And he suddenly goes, Joshua, go on, do it. How exciting, do it. And Joshua went, OK, I'll go to your house. And Leo's just like so excited. He's jumping up and down. And I'm thinking, how sweet. He's not going. He's not invited. He's not included. But he's excited because these two are going to go and do something fun. And I thought, how great is that? And to me, that was the simplest and most wonderfully childlike way of highlighting how we, the people of God, should be. That we're a people so filled with the Spirit of God that we cannot keep this to ourselves. But instead, we use all that God has given us to bring the best to others. Even if it is of no benefit to us whatsoever. Even if we are not included in what's going on, we still want the best for people and we bring it to them so full of God that they can see that this is what God is like, a God who wants the best for everyone, whether it's of benefit to us or not. Because as partners with God, as those filled with his spirit, this is our role, this is our place to be hope and light and goodness to the world. This is the reason that we are transformed, that we can then bring that transformation to others. Let's pause for a minute as we think about what God has said to us this morning, and then we'll sing together.